Welcome to another episode of Do Loss. Today, we're going to talk about the myth of neutrality. So before I jump into this episode, I want to go back and correct the record from last episode when I quoted Don Lemon as saying, judge not lest ye, lest you be not judged. And which he, he did misquote from at least the King James Version. And I said, though, that Matthew 7 says, judge not lest you be judged. And that is not what Matthew 7, 1 says. Matthew 7, 1 says, judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And, what, and, what, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. So when Don Lemon said, judge not lest ye be not judged, lest in, uh, implies that there's a threat of judgment coming or a threat of something bad happening. And in the structure that he quoted it, he said, judge not lest you be not judged. Now, in that structure, it looks like not being judged is the is the uh, is what is the threat that will happen to you. So if you judge not, then you won't be judged at all. But Matthew 7 is saying judge not and order that. And Matthew 7 one says judge not so that you won't be judged. And then if you read the full context, which I should have done last week, it says for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. Again, and then Jesus goes on and talks about hypocritically judging where you're picking or you're nitpicking somebody for doing one little thing when you have a whole block of sin that you are doing that you are not even caring about doing. So the example that he uses in verse three, he says, and why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. So your brother has this one little thing in his eye, but you have this whole beam in your eye and you're over there trying to judge him when you have a whole set of problems yourself. It's like the people that say, I don't want to join a church because there's too many hypocrites in the church. And uh, John MacArthur said, yeah, here's the thing. He likes to tell him, he's like, well, we have room for one more. <laughs> so to pretend like you don't want to be a part of a church because there's hypocrites in there when you yourself are a hypocrite and you are condemning people for not living up to the standards that they claim to hold up, hold up when you yourself are guilty of the same thing. And Paul goes on with that in Romans 2, talking about the Jews that are judging people for committing adultery when they're committing adultery or, or judging people for lying when they are liars themselves and things like that. So I just want to go back and correct that. I was wrong. Don Lemon was wrong. So that's why it's better just to read the Bible and make sure you have it quoted down so that you don't mess things up. But today I want to talk about neutrality and more precisely the myth of neutrality. So like I like to do, I went and looked up the definition that we have in our Merriam-Webster dictionary, and it says neutrality is refusal to take part in a war between other powers. And then the definition of neutral, which is the adjective, is not decided or pronounced as to characteristics. So you're not taking part in a war between two other separate peoples. You're an outside observer. And then you're not decided or you're not really pro one side or pro what they believe or anti what somebody else believes. So and I wanted, wanted to take a secular example of this going around uh, in the culture. So the left side of the political spectrum, there's this guy called Imram X. Kendi, who was a Boston University professor and he wrote a book called Racist or Anti-Racist. And what's the prevalent thing now is that we're, we should all be fighting racism so intently that there's no room for non-racist. You can't say, I am not racist. You're either racist or you're anti-racist. So you're either pro-racism or you're fighting against racism. Now, the whole problem with that is that According to his definition, things get messed up and really not, are not clear. And I think they're not clear on purpose because he doesn't want to 
give any credence to the position of not being racist because if you don't align with his political priorities or his beliefs about what racism is and what it isn't, then you are just by definition racist and you can't claim that you're not racist or even anti-racist unless you align with his specific definition. But that's not necessarily what I want to talk about today. We'll talk about racism in a, in a future episode, Lord willing. But he has got to a point where it's either you are pro and you're either against racism or you are a racist. So he has not left any room for any kind of middle ground. So you can't be neutral in his mind. And I think we have to remember that when sinners are doing what they choose to do, they are so gung ho. They're so passionate about their pleasures, about their wrongdoing, that they want people to affirm what they do. So sinners want affirmation, not condemnation. They want you to approve of what they're doing. That's what it says in Romans 1 that uh, Paul talks about how when the culture is degra uh, degrading and people are not satisfied with you just allowing their sin, they want you to approve of their sin. They want you to you know, applaud them and take pleasure in the fact that you are committing adultery, take pleasure in the fact that you are fornicating, take pleasure in the fact that you are uh, engaging in promiscuous sexual uh, immorality or, or that you are engaging in transgenderism or homosexuality or lesbianism, all those kinds of things that we see in the culture that are, are rising in their prevalence because people want the affirmation of it. They don't want anybody out there or even walking around in the world that has the idea that homosexuality is wrong or racism is wrong or my type, my view of racism is wrong or uh, lying is wrong or fornication or, you know, hookup culture is wrong. They don't want anybody even out there in the world who is disapproving of them. They want only affirmation. They want you to say, yes, we agree with you. Yes, we affirm you. Or we affirm you in your sin. But uh, uh, so it's funny that the world is, is moving that way when originally that's how God has always set up the world. And there's criticisms where, you know, God isn't so black and white or God isn't so uh, so clear cut like that or when it comes to heaven and hell when that's exactly how the Bible portrays who God is he's exactly looking at the world in a black and white fashion you are either for him or against him you can't go any other way in, in God's mind and I want to start out with what he has revealed uh, in Genesis 2 verses 8 and 9 it says that uh, this is talking about how God planted Adam in the garden and then he talks about what he put in the garden. In verse 8, he says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So even before the fall, there was, there, there are, there was a, a concept of good and a concept of evil. From Adam's standpoint, the good that he ought to do was to do what God told him to do. You know, till the garden, look after it, look after the animals. And the evil that he was not supposed to do was to uh, go against what God had said not to do. And if you can see where we get our concepts of good and evil from, is good is as doing what God tells us to do. Evil is doing what God tells us not to do. So good and evil are defined by God. Now, if you fast forward to Deuteronomy 30, where uh, Moses is reiterating the law to the second generation of Israelites because the first generation had failed in, their, in keeping their promise to God to, to follow him and to obey him. Deuteronomy 30, verses 15, it says, See, I have set before thee this day life and death, death, or life and good, 
death and evil. So he's, he's uh, comparing life and death and then good and evil. And he says in that, I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. So there we see clear cut that to do, to, if you want life and you want to do good, you love the Lord your God, you keep, you keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments. That's what's good. And so you do what God tells you to do. Verse 17, it says, But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shalt be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish, and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land, whether, ye, whether thou passest over Jordan to go possess it. So God is telling them again, So if you follow me and do what I tell you, you're doing what's good. Now if you don't do what I tell you to do, and you go in a different way, then you will perish. You will die because you are doing evil. And God judges evil. And... So verse 19 uh, finishes up verses 19 and 20, where God says, I call heaven and earth to record to, to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God and that thou mayest obey his voice and that thou mayest cleave unto him. And for he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. So God's mode of, of, of promises were always conditional based on the actions of his people. So they had to obey him and do what he told them to do, and that was good. And he said, if you do good, I'll bless you, because God loves blessing those that do good, but he hates, uh, he's going to punish those who, who do evil. So you have life and death, blessing and cursing. In the, in the Old Testament. So we go down to the New Testament when Paul is, is explaining the gospel in Romans. And this is all getting back to the, the, the concept of there's no neutrality in the eyes of God. Romans 7, where Paul is talking about the law, and he says in Romans 7, verse 12, he talks about what the law is, its characteristics. He says, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. So the laws that say, do this, don't do that. For example, the Ten Commandments, where God says, don't have any other gods before me. So God is saying, there aren't, uh, no other God is, is worthy of worship but me. I'm the only true God, so you ought to worship me. So that's, one of, that's the first of the Ten Commandments. So it starts out with, you want to do good. God is saying, if you want to do good, good is worshiping me. If you worship anything else, you're doing evil and you deserve punishment. And it goes on to say, you know, thou shalt not take the Lord, the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You shouldn't have graven images. You should remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And, uh, and then it goes on to the, the moral, uh, relational laws of don't kill, don't steal, uh, be faithful to your partner, don't covet, and don't bear false witness. All these things are, if you, do, if you are doing what God tells you to do, you're doing good. If you don't do what God tells you to do, you are doing evil. So it's, it's that clear cut. You're either with God or you're against God. There is no neutral party. So like in Ibram X. Kendi's case, there is no not racist. You can't say I'm, I'm neither for God or against him. No, you are either against him or you're for him. You either worship him or you don't. And you might ask, you know, what is, so what, what all do we need to do that is good and that is, and that is just versus what is bad and, and what is evil and unrighteous? Well, the Bible spells it out, spells that out plainly for us in um, and in, in a number of places, but I'll just pick this one in, in Galatians 5, where we, you know, some of us growing up in, a, in our Christian home, Christian home, we always memorize the fruits of the Spirit. But right before that, it talks about the fruits of the flesh. And there again is another dichotomy 
according to uh, the revelation of God, where you are either in the spirit or you're in the flesh. And the spirit mean, meaning you have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God to believe and trust in Christ as Savior. If you have not done that, then you're in the flesh. And this is what you do, according to Galatians 5.19, where it says, Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. So all these things that people take part in are works of the flesh. So if you do these things, the Bible is saying you are in the flesh, you are not in the spirit, and you are deserving of, of judgment. But it says if you're in the spirit, this, this, these are the fruits that you do. But the fruit of the spirit is, so the, for, so the evidence of the fruit of the spirit is you have love. You have joy, you have peace, you have long-suffering, so you're willing to suffer uh, and, and endure hardship with a, with a good attitude. You're gentle, you have gentleness, goodness. There again, the fruit of true spiritual regeneration is just pure goodness. Faith and meekness and temperance, so self-control. And it says, against such there is no law, meaning if you are operating with these fruits, then there's no law that can speak against you that you're doing something wrong. There's nothing that can say that you are, you are doing something evil when you have these fruits at work in your life. And um, Jesus even talked about how there is no such thing as neutrality. And, and another famous passage of scripture that even many in the world know is John 3.16. And if you keep reading through John 3.16 after six, verse, verse 16, you realize that there's a lot stronger uh, and even more uh, black and white uh, doctrine that Jesus teaches to Nicodemus here where he says, uh, we'll read John, uh, first, verse 16 first, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So we see that Christ came into the world to save sinners, to save us from uh, death. Because it says if you don't believe in him, you'll perish and you won't be able to have everlasting life. And we'll continue with the rest of what Jesus had to say in just a second. So let's continue talking about Jesus's words regarding the works of the flesh and regarding, you know, looking at the world in a black and white way where there's no neutrality. And he says, as we were reading in John 3, verse 17, he says, For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. He sent, he sent Jesus into the world to save the world. Now that begs the question, why, is, if we're not condemned, then why do we need saving? If you keep reading verse 18, Jesus says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. So if you believe on Christ, you're not condemned. You know, the Bible says that, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when you're justified, as one pastor put it, he says that you are justified. Justification is, is God looks at you just as if you had never sinned because the works of Christ have been imputed to you and your sins have been imputed to Christ. And that's why he died on the cross, because he was literally taking on the sin of the world. He became sin and God aimed his anger at Christ so that he could aim his grace and his mercy at us once we're in Christ. So G Jesus is saying that if you believe on him, you're not condemned. But then he continues, he says, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son 
of God. So Jesus is saying right there, clear cut, that if you don't believe on him, you are condemned. If you don't believe that he is the son of God and you're not believing in him for salvation, you are condemned. You are damned to, uh, to eternal, uh, uh, eternal death for not believing in Christ. So he didn't, God didn't send him into the world to condemn the world because the world is already condemned. Even back in Genesis, when uh, God uh, uh, caused the flood or was about to cause the flood, or after he had caused the flood and had wiped out all of humanity except for Noah and his, and his wife and their sons and their wives, um, God said that I will not, I will no longer um, empty or you know, judge the world by a flood because uh, he's, he promised not to do that and he put a rainbow in the sky for his seal and in remembrance of promise that he won't uh, judge the earth with a flood. However, when he says that, he says that the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. So he, even, uh, even you know, young children, uh, um, babies are born into the world with an evil nature. Now they're innocent, they don't really know good from evil you know, when they come out of the womb. However, they are born into, an, uh, into a, a world of, of sin and, and lust and evil and anger and all sorts of things, but those things are within them already. So the potential for all those evil things that people are committing today. Everybody alive started out as a, as a baby. They all came into the world as baby, as, as babies. Now, environmental factors, family issues, all those things obviously can influence whether you choose good or evil. However, those things are within the heart of man. As you read in a previous podcast, Jesus himself said all those things are within the heart of man. So you can't blame envir the environment. You can't blame your family. You can't blame uh, whether or not you got good education or teaching. All those things were inherently in you. And they were just brought to the forefront and you desire to do those, to do those things by, you know, bad influences or even by your own, by your own will. So evil rests in the hearts of all of us because by nature we are evil and we are, we stand condemned before God. And that's the point Jesus is driving at here. He says in verse 19, and this is the condemnation. So that here, here's the condemnation that light has come into the world. So the light of the law, that could be the light of the law, that could be the light of Christ, that could be the, the revelation of God's word that has come into the world. But it says men, he says, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So by nature, men and women everywhere, we love darkness rather than light. We'd rather be in the darkness. We'd rather commit our sins, you know, away from the light. We don't want the light shining on us. We hate condemnation. Like I said earlier, sinners want affirmation, not condemnation. They don't want light being brought to bear on their deeds. They just want, uh, they just want affirmation. They just want applause at the evil that they're doing, whether it's aborting babies or engaging in, in, sex, in uh, sexually perverse acts. No matter what it is, men don't like to be called out on their, on their sin. They don't like to be called liars or fornicators or adulterers or thieves or all those things that cause us not to inherit the kingdom of God. Nobody likes to be labeled by those things, but that's exactly who we are when we commit those sins. So Jesus is saying, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And he says, for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. So you hate when people say you ought to repent of your sin for that lie. You ought to repent of your sin for uh, engaging in pornography. You ought to repent of your sin for uh, disobeying your parents. You ought to repent of your sin for uh, dishonoring or gossiping or, or, or spreading rumors or slandering somebody when you don't know what was going on in them. You ought to repent of that sin. We don't like hearing that because we don't like light by nature. 
it's like a cockroach when you turn on the light they scatter that's but we're worse than cockroaches because they're just doing they're doing what they what god created them to do but we aren't we're doing exactly the opposite and going in rebellion against god's law so jesus jesus says he everyone that hated Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved or rebuked or, or condemned. And then he says in verse 21, but he that doeth truth cometh to the light. So if you're engaged in what is true, engaged in what is right, there's a proverb that, uh, I think it's Proverbs, Proverbs 10, 9, I just started memorizing that. It says that, um, that he that walketh, uh, walketh with integrity walketh surely, but he that perverteth his ways shall be known. I think I got the wording a little messed up, but that's the, I, I think that's pretty close. But he said, so it says that if you're walking the light, if you're walking uprightly, I think that's the word it uses in the King James. If you're walking uprightly, then you are walking surely. You're not, you're not worried about somebody coming around saying, hey, I saw you doing this. Or, or, some, or you're not worried about somebody, you know, wanting to go through your phone or your computer or going to go with through, through your Netflix history or whatever it is. That you're that you're engaged in, you're not worried about it because you're walking up rightly. So if somebody comes to check you out, you have no problem doing that. You, you know, it's to you. That's it's like okay, that, that you know, that's fine. I have nothing to hide. But if you're perverse in your ways, you'll be found out. You don't want you don't want people to scrutinize what you do, whether it's your taxes or you know where you're what you do at night when nobody's watching. You're you're not worried about you're worried about being caught because you're you're in the dark and you, you don't want the light to shine on you. So it says that he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. So you have no problem coming to the light when you're doing the truth. You know, Jesus and, and other passages, Jesus says that if you're not with him, you're against him. If you're not scattering, if you're, if you're not gathering with him, you're just scattering abroad. So Jesus in, in himself says, if you don't believe in me, you will die in Paris. There is no third option for anybody. There's no purgatory. There's no, there's no soul sleep. There's no uh, kind of you know uh, in between place ha that exists between heaven and hell where we'll go before we go to our final destination. There's no such thing. You either die and go to heaven, or you die and go to hell. And your only hope is to believe on Christ Jesus as Savior. It doesn't matter how much you engage in objective thinking and, and objective truth. It doesn't matter how much. How many good works and how many articles or books you write or how many podcasts you produce that talk about the reality of, of truth and trying to be on the right side of history, as the saying is. Uh, and many on the political, political right are, are guilty of this. I think uh, deep down inside, they, they believe that they are literally on the right side of history, just like those on the left do. So there's really not much difference between the right and left as far as their convictions. They truly believe that what they're doing is right. They don't believe that what they're doing is evil. They believe the other side is evil. When in reality, ultimately, everybody that is not in Christ is over here. So no matter if you're on the, on the far left or the far right, or you're a moderate Democrat or a moderate Republican, Republican, it doesn't matter where you are in the political spectrum. If you are not in Christ, you are in this con you're on the condemned section of, of, of God's world. God sees you as standing condemned, and the wrath of God abides on you on this side of the political spectrum or wherever you are in the world. I don't care if you're a Buddhist or a Muslim or even a professing Christian. If you're not a true Christian, you are also standing in that condemned aisle uh, 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 of the lane. Uh, so you have no hope outside of trusting in Christ and believing in him as your Savior. So the only hope for you and for me is to 
to get in the non-condemned, to get in the, the blessed aisle, the justified aisle, is to believe on Christ. And that means to forget our good works because even, Christ, Jesus, even God says all the good works in the world that you do as an unbeliever are not worthy uh, before God. God says even your, your righteous works are like filthy rags before me, talking about even, you know, like a woman's menstrual cloth. They, they just mean nothing to God. They're not, they're not ever going to appease God. And it makes sense because if you think about the... You can think about, think about this analogy. If I were to come and steal your car, if I were to come beat up one of your friends or a loved one, and uh, I got arrested and I stood before the judge, and I told the judge, hey, you know, that was just you know, a snapshot in time. I, I pay my taxes. I, know I take care of my son. I, I pay my bills on time. And the judge were to say, oh, okay, Levi, well, since you do all those good things, I'll let you go. If you were the one who was victimized, you would say, how in the world could that be? That's, that's a corrupt judge. That should, that should never happen. That's not a good judge who lets people go because the judge because they tell the judge they're really sorry and and they they're doing good works. How much more so God? And that's that's just a human judge. Now if you think about God being the just judge of all the earth, the perfect being in the universe who has all power, all authority, and all knowledge. So even he can see inside the hearts of those who are doing good works what they're really doing them for. God is saying that if you think you're going to bribe God with your good works, your good deeds, your how good of a husband you are, how good of a wife you are how good of a, of a child or how good of a worker you are or a neighbor or all the good deeds that you've done in your life. God is saying all that is trash. It means nothing to him. You will not get any favor with God by doing those good deeds. Because when it comes to salvation, it's only by faith and by faith alone. You believe in Christ as Savior and you trust in him alone as, as Savior. You repent, you turn from your sins and you trust in Christ's sacrifice on the cross because he died the perfect death. He lived the perfect life so that his death on the cross was the was where your sins were imputed to him and his righteousness can be imputed to you. And it's solely by faith. I can't trust any good work I've ever done in my life to get to heaven. It's only on the basis of Christ's righteousness. And that's the good news. And that's why there's no neutral position when it comes to Christ, because you are either going to be a sinner standing. You either are, are a sinner standing condemned by God and waiting to die and go to hell because of your sin, because you won't repent and turn and trust in Christ, or you are a born-again, bought-by-the-blood-of-Christ Christian who is standing solely by faith. So even the Bible t talks about this where it says the just shall live by faith. Day by day, every Christian stands by faith. We don't ever look back on our lives and say, wow, I'm such a great guy. I've done a lot of good things for the Lord. That's not the attitude of a true born-again Christian. The true born-again Christian looks back at all those, good, all those good deeds that he's done since he's been saved and says, wow, look at what Christ has done in my life. I could have not done anything. Jesus himself says that. He says that without me, you can do nothing. So we can't, it's not, it's not that we can't do anything good. He says you can't do anything. You can't exist without Christ, which is another one of those proofs that he's God. We can't do anything without him. We can't do anything without God. They're both one and the same. We can't do anything without them. We are, we are, we are dead in our sins and our trespasses, as Ephesians 2 says. So we have no hope outside of trusting and believing in Christ. So I'd urge you today to, to consider your own deeds, your own life, and realize that your deeds are darkness. If you don't trust in him, I don't care how, many, how much money you give to the poor, how much good deeds you do for your neighbor, how, much, how many people's tires you help change on the side of the road, it means nothing to God. The only thing that will account for acceptance into heaven is coming through the door of Christ Jesus. And he's the one that says, if you don't come to him, or if you do come to him, he won't cast you out.
Now, if you don't come to him, he will judge you. As he says, you're either, you either fall on the stone and you're broken, you're contrite. You're, you know, it's going to hurt to repent. You might lose friends. You may lose family. You may lose uh, prestige. You may lose your job for following Christ. But he says if you, you'll be broken if you fall on him. But the opposite side is if you don't fall on the, st on the stone and are broken, that same stone, when you die, will come toppling down on you and grind you to powder. That's the language Jesus used. It will grind you to powder, and that will be a thorough judgment that you will never be able to come back from. So I'd urge you today to think about your sin. Think about where you are in life. Think about if you are truly serving Christ, and if you're not, repent, turn from your sins, and trust in Him, and don't live in this in this in this realm of neutrality because it doesn't exist you can't say you know i really respect christ as a good teacher or i respect the bible as good morals or i grew up in a christian home that means nothing to god what what means what is pleasing to god is for you to repent and put your trust in christ as savior and that's why there's no neutrality so don't believe in this myth of neutrality where god will just you know, see how well you tried or how well you lived and accept you the bible makes it clear you either a child of God or a child of the devil. That's John 8. You're either or you're engaging in works of the flesh or you're engaging in works of the spirit. That's Galatians 5. So don't think that you are you are in any way, shape, or form in, one, in a third camp. You're either in Christ and you have eternal life or you're outside of Christ and you're damned and, and destined for eternal hell. So thank you for, for listening. I, uh, if, you would like to, if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, share it with your friends. And uh, send me a comment on YouTube or on Apple Reviews. And I'll try to read those and, and take them to heart. So uh, thank you for listening. And we'll see you in the next episode of Do Loves.